Hello, and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast, where we exist to connect the story of God with the story of man and see all of our lives in light of God and his story. My name is Raven, and I'm joined by Andrew, one of the pastors here at Providence. And today we are discussing the aftermath of the election. Hey, everyone. If you joined us last week, you know that we kind of gave some thoughts leading up to the election. Well, now it's one day after the election, and we're actually recording this beforehand. So we have no idea what the outcome was. Blissfully ignorant (laughs) of what just happened. Yeah. And so whatever happened, if it was something crazy or weird or just an interesting turnout, we do not know. So we aren't trying to be ignorant or um, unaware of what's going on. We're just recording this ahead of time. But what we thought about and talked through ahead of time was some thoughts and ideas for following up with the election despite the results. Yeah. So, yeah. So with last time, we're trying to think through the the posture that we have towards this. I think for us now, we're trying to think through, okay, now that the election has happened, votes are in, all of that's done. Maybe some, you know, maybe somebody is already won. Maybe this will take weeks. Mm-hmm. Again, we have no idea what's going on when you're listening to this. But um, there are some things that don't change. So we can record this confidently two weeks before the election and know that we can stand by these things. Because again, we're not just responding to an outcome. We're trying to help our church. And if you're listening to this as a Christian, we're trying to just help the posture of the church throughout this whole process. So um, kind of like last week, we've got three points that we want to make when we ask the question, okay, so the elections happened. How do we respond as a community to the election? That's done now. We've argued, debated, votes are in, something's happened. How do we respond as a community now moving forward? So we've got mm-hmm. three things that we want to hit. Yeah. The first one is that we hope in the kingdom, not in a country. And so, again, as we said that we are recording this ahead of time. And so our hope isn't in our country. It's in our king. And Andrew, what were some more thoughts on that one? Yeah, this is where, again, it doesn't matter when we record this. This is true for us. And this doesn't change no matter on an election or whatever happens. Our hope is ultimately in the kingdom of God, not our country. Um, so that means for you practically, if you're listening to this and the, you know, the, um, somebody has been voted in, if that's your candidate and you voted for the person who got in or your party won a bunch of seats in Congress, that can be exciting. And that may bring about good change or real change. You may be excited about that for our country, but your ultimate hope for the well-being of people cannot reside in a government or or in a certain person or party. And so if if your hope would be completely lost because your party didn't get in um, and you're only excited or you're only hopeful for the future because your party got in or your person got in, um, uh, we just want to push you to say, our hope has to be in the in the kingdom, not the country. Conversely on that, that also means if your candidate lost um, or your party got defeated in a lot of different seats, um, your hope shouldn't be lost. So you could, be, you could mourn that maybe some policies might happen in the next four years um, may not turn out how you think they should, or even um, there may be some really um, God dishonoring things that happen over the next four years in our country. But in God's great sovereignty, this is his solution to what's coming up. And he will be glorified through this. And our hope is that the kingdom of God will bring, bring about goodness, 
truth, righteousness, justice, not just the country. So our country can aid to that. And in a lot of ways over time, and even over the next few years, that may happen. Our, our country and politicians may help bring about justice and truth and, and righteousness, um, but it's not going to ultimately fix the problem. The, the ultimate answer to the problem in the world is not certain politicians. It's actually us, the church. Mm -hmm. Like God has designed um, this world in such a way that his kingdom citizens are the ones that are primarily going to help share the good news and live out what it looks like to be in the kingdom. And so we've talked about this a few times before with people in our church. Um, the If we think that the core problem of mankind, which is sin and how we treat God and each other, is going to be fixed by the government, um, our hope is misplaced. The we are God's kingdom is going to continue to move forward, and justice and righteousness will move forward. Not only because of something that happens in our country, but because of the kingdom and the King that we serve. Mm. What are some biblical examples that we see that supports this? Yeah, so I think um, one of the things that's uh, kind of maybe shocking to us, if we really looked at it, is the New Testament letters. There's nothing in there about reforming the the Roman structure of government. Like Paul's not writing saying, man, to actually impact people, we need to change Caesar's mind on these things. Now, when he goes in the book of Acts and he goes before judges, he is not cowardly. Like he boldly says, look, this is the truth and this is what you need to do. Like, so he, he proclaims that when he has a place, but when he's writing to the church, Churches, his primary thing is not, hey, you need to hope that the Roman government changes. The primary thing is, remember who's actually on the throne. Remember who is above. So the Psalms are riddled um, with imagery of the Lord being on his throne in the heavens. Like throughout all the Psalms, there's different ones. Uh, I think of Psalm 11 off the top of my head where David says, the ground is shaking beneath him, but the Lord is on his throne in the heavens. So there's this imagery of no matter what's going on down here, God is on his throne and he is in power. Um, and so for, for the New Testament, when Jesus talks about, man, my kingdom is not of this world, it's of another world. When Paul says that Christians actually can love and carry out goodness and truth and justice and kingdom values and proclaim to people the good news of the gospel, that that really is where our hope lies. And even, this isn't a biblical example, but even in the early church, um, one of the ways that Christianity grew so much in Rome was not when they got into power, which they eventually did, um, but first it was because Christians were loving um, the poor, the sick, and the outcasts. When plagues would strike through Rome, it was the Christians that stayed and loved people. There's a um, there's a book on the early couple centuries of Christianity by Michael Kruger, um, and he, he has a quote in there where he talks about how non-Christians actually looked in and said Christians, um, one of the main things that they see in Christians is that they love their own poor and they take care of the poor of, of Rome. And so what he's saying there is one of the most noticeable things is that they're not just looking to the Roman government to take care of people. They're actually doing it themselves. Their hope is not in governmental reform. It's in actually the kingdom citizens living like the kingdom. And so I think from from um, both Bible and just church history, you see that the greatest movements have not been always when um, governmental reform has happened, but when kingdom citizens are actually living 
with Jesus as King. Yeah. And that's a really good model and reminder for us of the responsibility that we have as Christians here on earth. In the membership classes, you always talk about how we are here representing our heavenly kingdom. And so it's kind of this embassy, the churches or this fortress of light that we have here on earth. And that should reflect heavenly values and also be taking care of those around us and not finding our hope in a ruler that's of this world. Yeah. Yeah, let me say this to end on this point. I What I'm not arguing for is a disengagement with the public sphere, um, but like a, a primary heart posture and a primary value system. So if you think about different issues of, like even just this year, big issues have been immigration, have been uh, abortion and pro-life, have been racism. If your primary hope is that the government will fix those problems in people, we're off. Like those are sin problems that have to be dealt with at the heart. Like the the primary hope for that is that Jesus changes lives through the gospel. Now mm-hmm. we can put in laws and stuff to help. I mean, that's what the law is, is it helps temper sin. Like it keeps it at bay. That's from the old Testament to even today, good laws help keep sin at bay, but they're not going to fix the problem of sin. The sin of racism is not going to be dealt with through a law. It's going to be dealt with through the gospel. The um, actually ha- having people see the beauty of human life, even in the womb is not only going to be fixed when we have a law, it's going to be fixed when sin is dealt with. So we just have to, it's good to put in good laws and it's good to live out justice and righteousness in the world, but that can't be your primary hope. The primary hope has to be in the kingdom. Yeah, that's really good. And the next one that you had was we act, not only vote. And so that idea that it's not just us placing our vote and then sitting idly by, but actually taking the responsibility as Christians to act on certain issues. Yeah, I don't know if you, maybe Raven, you can speak to this. If you've seen this even in your own life or in in people and conversations, but I can have a tendency to think or get into the mindset, well, I need to just vote according to value. So we'll vote according to being um, pro-life or in the last podcast, we talked about being other centered in different areas of, you know, immigration, reform, healthcare, um, education, all these different things. We need to be other centered, but I can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking, so you place your vote there. But then we actually live our entire lives kind of self-centered. And I think what we're trying to get to at this point is to not just think, well, I'm pro-life because I I'm, I put a vote in a on a ballot at one point, or I vote that way. But I'm pro-life because my life is lived in such a way that is actually helping be pro-life. So for instance, on the, uh, the abortion issue, um, it, it is a good and God-honoring thing to vote with that in mind. Um, but if you just vote and say, well, I fight abortion because I place that vote, but you've never thought about going to the Assure Women's Pregnancy Center here or the Crisis Pregnancy Center, wherever you live, or you've never actually looked at, okay, what are some of the deeper issues that are causing abortions? And you're not actually like driving toward that. Um, I would say it's it's not like you're not like evil, but it's just short-sighted to think that once we vote, well, we can live however we want mm-hmm. and we actually have to live according to those convictions. Yeah, no, I think that's a good reminder for all of us. It also makes me think about church membership or just church attendance too. Just because we go to a church and we say, okay, we found this church doesn't mean we take a step back and say, okay, well, it's the pastor's job and all of these other people's jobs to share the gospel. We actually have a responsibility in that to live out the way that we are called. And so same way with voting of having that idea of, okay, when I vote for this, how do I actually live this out in my own life? And I think that's something that I need to remember as well. Yeah. With the... And that can happen in a lot of different ways and not everyone has to do it in the exact same way. I think the push is, for some reason, we have such an emphasis on voting for 
specifically the president, right? Like mm-hmm. we just have such an emphasis on voting for who the president is. Reality is the day-to-day impact of that is relatively small. How you vote for, and I feel like rarely do people care that much about local elections and voting for council people like in our you know city and stuff. But when you actually vote there or you engage at a local level, you can actually make a pretty big impact in your community. By you mm-hmm. serving at a nonprofit that is close to a value of yours, you can actually make a pretty big impact in your city. So I, I, so we're not saying don't vote at all. Voting is good, and that's a blessing that we have in this country that, again, not everyone historically, I mean, it's actually fairly rare, like historically. So that's a, that's a good thing that we have that. Um, but don't just think that that's going to make all the change. We actually, like, we be the church in the city and actually love people. If you have certain things that are close to your heart and certain values— vote according to them, but then actually look to live that out and feel like how, you, how figure out how you can actually serve your community by figuring out how to either proclaim the gospel or live in a kingdom like minded way in your community to help see some of those values played mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And it will start to feel like you really are truly making a difference because yeah. I think for a lot of us, we can get upset about the things. And I know I do this all the time, get upset about the things that are happening around me. And then I go, wait a second, What have I actually done to take a step forward and change that? And so I think that's a really good reminder for all of us to take action. And it can feel like sometimes when you're voting at a federal level, it's like, well, my vote really doesn't matter. Like there's Mm. millions of people, but it's like, well, does my vote actually even matter? And so you can kind of think that way, which is not necessarily right. But when you think about your local community and voting for certain things or having conversations with people or actually serving, you really do actually see that impact. Yeah. For the last one, it says that we are a witness through unity, not uniformity. What does that mean? What do you mean by not uniformity? Uniformity is the idea that we are all the same. Unity is the idea that we are connected and we are united even if we are different. So here's what I mean by that. We can we need to be as a church, we need to be firm and united on and uniform in some of our biblical convictions. So again, we've mentioned this a lot, but like being pro-life or our view on marriage and sexuality, like those are big biblical things that we have to, like we can't compromise on those things. But the way that those things get played out in different policies, how we think certain things should look um, and, and the best ways to get some of those biblical convictions played out, we can be different. And as a church now, so we just, everyone just voted, the election happened. What will be one of our greatest witnesses to the city and to the world is people that disagree on policies that are actually still in fellowship and united together. So um, the danger that I see is that the world is kind of like splitting into camps on a lot of different things. You're either Mm -hmm. this or this, you're this or this, you vote this way or this way. And we usually kind of um, gather with just people that are uniform, that just like us, think like us, vote like us. Um, The church should be a place where we can be a witness, where we think about certain things differently and we can be, um, you know, we can vote maybe a little bit differently, but we can still be united under the gospel of Jesus. And that's actually Mm -hmm. a great witness to um, a time in our country where that almost seems impossible even within the church. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about this, I think about how similar people congregate together. How as a church do we stay diverse if we have these different opinions or life experiences that say, cause me to be really passionate about prison ministry. So I want to go to a church that is all in on that. How do we not lose the diversity in our church right now? Because everyone has diverse thoughts and opinions. Not well, even so opinions, but also just like stronger passions, passions. And values, yeah. is that what you're saying? Yep. 
the the last podcast we talked about being finite and part of that is that we don't have the capacity to do all the things and love all the things that the church should do and love like as an individual we cannot do that the beauty is that god although god calls for us to value and do a bunch of different things. I mean, we should care about um, evangelism. We should care about discipleship. We should care about prison ministry. We should care about education. We should care about um, global missions. We should care about, you know, all these different things. No Christian can actually do that. Um, The beauty is that God has not called every individual to do it. He has called his church to do Mm -hmm. it. And so if you're in a church where you feel like, man, there's, you know, a few hundred people and only 10 of us really are passionate about this thing. And, and, and that's, so I should go to a church that everyone's passionate about that thing. That's actually not that helpful because as a church, we can all do a lot more if we have people that are diverse in how we think or the passions that we have. And so, yeah, so if you have a certain passion for prison ministry, um, you could go to a church that that's, that's all they do. And that's not necessarily a bad thing completely, um, but it's actually helpful if, if that's a part of a church and you have another group of people who really care about global missions and they're helping the church reach that. And then there's another group of people that really care about like neighborhood ministry type stuff and serving the poor in our city. And so they're kind of doing that. And there's another group in our church who really care about theological education and they're helping form people deeply. When you have little groups of people that think different and have different passions, but they're united under Jesus, the church is actually far healthier and the mission of the church will actually get carried out. And so Mm -hmm. that's even just in like passion stuff. I think with this specifically with like politics, to be united in like under the blood of Jesus, not your platform and who you vote for um, is just a witness to the world who I don't know if people think that can be possible. Like we look mm-hmm. at social media, you look at how people are communicating in different formats and everything is, if you don't agree with me, you are wrong. And in some cases it's like you are like an evil or immoral person because you don't agree with me. What we're saying is, yeah, there's some core convictions that we all agree on. And those are core elements that are given to us by God and that are like huge parts of, of our Christian faith. But there's a lot of different things that we can disagree on and a lot of different issues in the public sphere um, that if we can say, I disagree with you on this, we could even have a heated conversation. And at the end of the day, we can worship together and we Mm. can be in fellowship together, eat meals together, take communion together because we're united by Jesus, not our political party. That's an amazing witness to the world where that almost is seeming, it's growing more and more impossible. Yeah. And so with people in the church context specifically, Well, first, I just think about 1 Corinthians 12, right? We need every single member of the body in order to function the way that Christ designed. And so as you were saying, people will have different thoughts and not even opinion, but passions that they are excited about because of their life experiences. But for the person that's sitting there going, okay, I see that need to really think critically and be in discussions with people that think differently, whether it's about the election or about other passions within the church, how do they start those conversations? Because I think about city groups, I think about even Sundays, you tend to congregate with the people that look like you have similar thoughts and values. How do you actually start those discussions? Well, the first thing is probably you have to fight those tendencies to just gather with people that think like you, because that's easy. You're not, you're not pushed. You're not challenged. You don't have to like challenge somebody else. And all those things make you feel uncomfortable. Your mm-hmm. values getting challenged is uncomfortable. You having to ask people like, you know, the, to, to show inconsistencies in what they think, or maybe to point out another viewpoint, they may get frustrated. They may not like you, whatever. So we don't like doing that stuff. 
And to be honest, you just have to, in some ways, fight that. Like you just have to be willing to take a step. I also think though, so that makes it sound like be a warrior and kind of fight it. And in some ways that's true, but I also think it's not actually as hard face to face as we think it might be. So even just asking simple questions of, so the election just happened, just asking people like, how are you feeling about it? Like, what did you, you know, what are you thinking now that this happened? Or as you get into conversations, just asking, you know, why is it that you um, value this? And we talk a lot, we've talked a lot over these last couple of podcasts about different life experiences that shape people. Don't assume that someone is immoral or not a Christian mm-hmm. because they vote different actually ask them like why is that a value like what why why do you think that is the best way for this and my guess is that most people don't mind talking about some of these things at least to some extent um and so they'll probably start sharing things that you can start to see like oh yeah you're because of certain places you work because of things you know that you grew up with or because of your life experience that's why you value that and it, it humanizes it more than just a theoretical political idea. And once you start having those conversations, I do think that they're not quite as intimidating as usual, especially I think within the church. If we can start the conversation on a basis of community and love, so we are, we're in this together and we do genuinely love one another, um, just start asking some questions about how people feel about it, why they value certain things. Um, you know, maybe if, if they're pretty strongly in one camp, just ask them like, what do you think about the other side? Like, what is it that you feel like frustrated with, with the other party or something? And you just start to get to like a little bit deeper layer. And once you start having some of those conversations, I would encourage face to face because that just humanizes everything. And even a way that, um, text, email, social media, whatever, doesn't do quite as much. Um, I think that just helps to um, to start to realize that we can be united, even if we think a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it truly allows diverse opinion and thought. And also, I think it humbles you in a way too, because you realize, okay, what I might view as truth might not be truth for another person. And so coming to the middle and trying to figure out okay, what is this person believing? What is this person saying? And how can I truly engage in a way that's God honoring and also hear someone else, but then sharpen my own beliefs or thoughts as well? Yeah. And I think it's important too, with some of that to, we, we just always have to keep in mind that we're learning and growing together in community and you will actually be sharper in and biblical convictions and stuff. The more you talk to people that disagree with you, because it just, it's helpful to find because even when we're saying all this, we don't want to communicate that there's not certain things that you have to agree on. The church has to agree on certain convictions, um, but even finding out what those things are and what are things that maybe you've thought for a while, well, the church has to agree on this. And you talk to other Christians that love Jesus and they, from the Bible, have different ways that certain things should get played out. It might just shape you. And like you said, it could be humbling to see like, oh, maybe that's just a more American value that I've held and not a biblical mm-hmm. value. And so that's how we grow. That's how we sharpen each other. Uh, and I just can't like say it enough. That is a witness to the world to say there are two people that are on opposite ends of the spectrum and certain policy things that can actually love each other and stay united, pray together and communicate together um, will be a great witness moving forward. Thank you for joining us today as we discussed the aftermath of the election and some thoughts around that as well. If you have any questions or thoughts on this, we would love to hear your feedback. Email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. And if you want to learn more about us, visit our website at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.